By the by, sweet babe, through heartbreak, longing, toil and trouble, we now witness this year's end. O moon, overcome me, crimson syrup atop the rock, I emerge, bare-bodied, beaming. I look to the brook and see, dear reader, a year of love letters once flung to thee with fervent adoration. Darkest night falls as I gaze to a blanket of stars and ponder upon the future. I think and dream, my love, of playing a role for you on stage in this here life. Ever so slowly, I fantasise the body and all its rotting appendages, flesh and fibre, sinew and bone, as an extension of artistic practice. Artist as actor. An apparition split in two. Kim Novak in Vertigo. Who dost thou wish to be? Desire, I want to dive into you. Linked, Welcome to My Island by Caroline Polacek on YouTube. Pictured, Kim Novak as Judy Barton slash Madeline Elster in Vertigo, 1958, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. That ruby red flame began to flicker, babe, that pine to stand upon my mark, as I recently viewed a video by American designer, fashion forecaster and commentator Ryan Finn upon the importance of fashioning identity. Prompted by the writing of Scott Elruff, Mariah McKinney-Valentine and Ingrid Loshek, Finn thoughtfully outlines the function of clothing as a means of constructing the self, of taking up space, particularly within marginalised communities, movements and subcultures. Linked. Ryan Finn on YouTube and Instagram. Referencing low checks when clothes become fashion, Finn posits that taking up space gives fashion depth and reason and point and allows for an image to visually resound, bounce and reverberate over time. From this reverberation, Finn delineates sound as a valuable device for establishing presence within a given space. How much noise do you want to take when you take up space? What sounds do you want to make? Do you want to move through a room silently? Do you want to wear a hard boot that smacks as you hit the floor? How do these sounds impact the way that you're perceived? I then wonder, love, about the clothing I wear to mask my body, to compress my chest, to obscure my frame. The shoes beneath my feet, torn and threadbare, which tread over snow in silence. Pictured, Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby, 1968, directed by Roman Polanski. I recall, baby angel, in mine younger years, a burgeoning and palpable pain of how I navigate the world in proximity to gender. Gender trouble becomes all too troubling. Putrid bile swells within mine belly as I feel and know how I shrink and shrink and shrink for others slipping silently through concrete, making my body smaller in thine street, becoming uncomfortable, invisible, ever serving to the whims and fancies of others. I long to paint this feeling. A painting a month for the next 12 months. 
Ambitious, I know, but I already maintain a backlog of ideas. Final Girl has not been forgotten. In the small hours some moons ago, I wrote a work to be titled A Private View. Five foot tall, muddy and mossy and brooding in old English black letter. She unfolds as follows. I watch demons and all their devices, unscrupulous lies, unholy vices, no heart, hear, see, stone frozen over, against mine chest a four-leafed clover, and toward me slither, you are not sober. In an armchair I sat softly, as locks were chopped without hesitation. Thick silk ringlets falter to the floor as I emerge a girl on film. I have come to find, my love, that in much hindsight, upon each and every visit to the salon, I reveal an actress, a character, I wish to be. Sigourney Weaver in Alien, Natasha Kinski in Paris, Texas, and now, for better or for worse, Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. Women wrought with pain and anguish, dizzied by violence, hyperventilating. I adore the allure of heroines. Pictured Louise Brooks as Lulu in Pandora's Box, 1929, directed by J.W. Pabst. Sat solemnly, I yearn for, as always, those bright young things of yesteryear, I fall, angel, back into the thick of it, those cold, clouded depths, scouring the abyss for girls of the silver screen. A fascination for pre-code Hollywood cinema is beginning to fester intensely. Weeping, weeping from mine heart, an earnest fascination, intrigue, love, for lost girl Louise Brooks. Once a Ziegfeld folly, Brooks found international appeal in the works of Austrian director G.W. Pabst, including Pandora's Box and Diary of a Lost Girl. A definitive figure of American silent film, Brooks epitomised the flapper. Boisterous, unabashed, exuberant, black helmet hair, pencil-thin brows and a look of knowing. Akin to such starlets of the era, by age 30, Brooks slowly succumbed to financial hardship and subsequent squalor. Following years spent secluded within the bedroom of her New York apartment, Brooks experienced a resurgence of her work within the latter half of the 20th century, accredited to French film historian Henri Langlois. Langlois proclaimed boldly, there is no Garbo, there is no Dietrich, there is only Louise Brooks. Much soon after, Brooks began to establish herself as a prominent writer, often reflecting upon her earlier experiences within the film industry, now compiled within Lulu in Hollywood. In the mid-1970s, Brooks was interviewed by British director Richard Leacock, for a documentary entitled Lulu in Berlin, recounting Brooks' move from America to Europe in search of more emotionally demanding roles. The opening cites Brooks as the most seductive sexual image of a woman ever committed to celluloid. Linked, Lulu in Berlin, part one of four on YouTube. 
I often consider the distinction between one's public versus private persona. Brooks recounts her work through the eyes of Lulu and, reflecting upon her contemporaries of the era, in particular actress Clara Bow, Brooks states that Clara didn't really exist. She didn't exist off the screen. She manufactured this whole person. I look now to the future, dear reader, crystal clutched within mine palm, and consider this notion within the greater scope of my writing and artistic practice. A new world, a new girl, committed to celluloid. <laughs>